The frontrunners keep winning, the Supreme Court keeps Trump's hopes alive, and a pinch hitter scrambles the California Senate primary on The Political Junkie. You like Ike, I like Ike, everybody likes Ike for president. Add Ike to you, and Link to me, I don't care how you quote it. Come on and vote for Kennedy, vote for Kennedy, and we'll come out on top. Vote for Richard Nixon and Henry Cabot Lodge, cause they're the ones to lead the USA. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to episode 410 of The Political Junkie. I'm Ken Rudin. President Ronald Reagan was 73 years old when Henry Truitt of the Baltimore Sun asked him this question on October 21st, 1984. Mr. President, I want to raise an issue that I think has been lurking out there for two or three weeks and cast it specifically in national security terms. You already are the oldest president in history, and some of your staff say you were tired after your most recent encounter with Mr. Mr. Uh, Mondale. Um, I recall yet that President Kennedy had to go for days on end with very little sleep during the Cuba Missile Crisis. Is there any doubt in your mind that you would be able to function in such circumstances? It was an important question. At 73, Reagan was the oldest president in history. As Truett alluded, Reagan seemed to be lost and confused during parts of his first debate with Walter Mondale two weeks earlier. The president, however, had an answer that seemed to make the issue of age disappear. Not at all, Mr. Truitt, and I, and I want you to know that also I will not make age an issue of this campaign. I am not going to exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. <laughs> When voters go to the polls on November 5th, President Biden will be a few weeks short of his 82nd birthday. While it's debatable who, Biden or Donald Trump, who will be 78 by Election Day, has had more senior moments in recent months, polls suggest that age is far more of an issue with Biden voters about Biden than with Trump voters about Trump. A majority of Democrats has indicated that they would have preferred Biden to have packed it in rather than seek a second term, whereas Republicans don't seem to have such problems with Trump, despite his own history of gaffes and nonsensical and hateful rants. What certainly added to the Biden problem was the report released by Special Counsel Robert Hur, a Republican, assigned to investigate the president's retaining of classified national security information. In the end, he recommended against pressing charges. We concluded that no criminal charges are warranted in this matter, wrote Her, who also noted that unlike Biden, Trump refused to cooperate with investigators. Still, Her added that Biden's memory was significantly limited during interviews conducted last year, pointing out that Biden didn't remember when his son Bo died or the years he served as vice president. Quote, Mr. Biden would likely present himself to a jury as a sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory, end of quote. That infuriated Democrats and Biden, who called the press conference to dispute Hur's conclusion. But the president's case suffered an ill-timed embarrassment when, in changing the subject and focusing on Israel and Hamas, he mistakenly described the country Egypt's President Sisi was heading up. I think that, uh, as you know, 
Initially, the president of Mexico, Sisi, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. It was probably not a good thing for a guy to insist his faculties were fine and then go on to make a humiliating gaffe. One of his attempts for redemption was a visit to NBC's Late Night with Seth Meyers. You mentioned some classified material, some uh, documents recently leaked, some classified documents. And this isn't a gotcha show, but I do want to ask about it, that says you are currently 81 years old. Who the hell told you that? Yeah. <laughs> That's classified. That's classified. All jokes aside, according to recent polling, this is a real concern for American voters. How do you address that concern going forward as you come up to the 2024 election? Well, a couple things. Number one, you got to take a look at the other guy. He's about as old as I am, but he can't remember his wife's name. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> number one. Number two, <laughs> it's about how old your ideas are. Look, I mean, this is a guy who wants to take us back. He wants to take us back on Roe v. Wade. He wants to take us back on a whole range of issues that are 50, 60 years, they've been solid American positions. And Comedy Central's Jon Stewart, who is hardly a defender of either candidate, set us up for what seemed to be a mockery of Biden's memory, only to fool us with his video presentation. This guy couldn't remember stuff during his deposition. Do you understand what that means? He had no ability to recall very basic things under questioning. The footage of the president unable to recall simple facts must have been brutal to watch. James Webb. I don't remember the names. I don't remember the name. I don't remember ever buying something for myself. Do you recall what years you were married to Ms. Maples? Um, I mean, I, I don't remember that. Okay, okay. As, as good as my memory is, I don't remember that, but I have a, I have a good memory. So you don't remember saying you have one of the best memories? I, I don't remember. <laughs> and yet, it's Biden's age that's giving the nation the willies, not Trump's. To be fair, when Trump goes off with an astonishing speech, as he did last week at a Black Conservative Federation gala in Columbia, South Carolina, nobody was blaming his age for his rhetoric. A better word might be, what, madness? Bigotry? And then I got indicted a second time, and a third time, and a fourth time. And a lot of people said that that's why the black people like me, because they have been hurt so badly and discriminated against. And they actually viewed me as I'm being discriminated against. It's, it's been pretty amazing. These lights are so bright in my eyes that I can't see too many people out there. But uh, I can only see the black ones. I can't see any white ones, you see. That's how far I've come. That's how far I've come. That's a long, that's a long way, isn't it? My, the mugshot, we've all seen the mugshot. And you know who embraced it more than anybody else? The black population. It's incredible. You see black people walking around with my mugshot. You know, they do shirts and they sell them for $19 a piece. You're a lousy president, worst president ever. For Biden, wrecking the dreams of African Americans is nothing new. You know this. You know the real story behind this guy. I said, do I really want to say this stuff? But then I said, what the hell? I've been saying it. I said, do we really want to hit him that hard? Because if you do, you can really go back into history with him. It's the only thing he's really been good at. 
his entire career. You know what that is? Being a racist because he's a racist. On top of everything else, Joe Biden really has proven to be a very nasty and vicious racist. He's been a racist. Whether you like it or don't like it, I happen not to like it. Most of the people in this room happen to not like it. And if somebody does like it, they're not supposed to be here. Biden spent years palling around with notorious segregationists. You know that. He boasted that his home state was a slave state. He was very proud of that. He thought it was great. If you go back and look at his body language and the way he said it, he was very proud of it. He said that he didn't want his children to grow up in a, quote, racial jungle. I don't want my children in a racial jungle. Here's what's really going on. When Trump is accused of wanting to suppress democracy, his response is that Biden is suppressing democracy. When Trump is called a fascist, he calls Biden a fascist. Since Trump got impeached, Republicans have decided Democrats need to be impeached. When Trump is exposed as someone who can barely make it down a ramp, he responds by spending every speech mocking Biden as a confused, doddering old fool. When one or more of Trump's children is accused of financially benefiting from their father's time in the White House, Trump and company launch a nonstop attack on Hunter Biden. When Trump is shown to be a racist, he decides that Joe Biden is the most racist president in history. Trump takes every charge leveled at himself and decides it's really Biden who's guilty. This is exactly what's going on. I just don't know why only some people see it. Another octogenarian in the headlines is Mitch McConnell, the Kentucky Republican who is the longest-serving Senate leader in history. He announced on Wednesday that he'll be stepping down from his position in November. To serve Kentucky in the Senate has been the honor of my life. To lead my Republican colleagues has been the highest privilege. But... One of life's most underappreciated talents is to know when it's time to move on to life's next chapter. So I stand before you today, Mr. President, and my colleagues to say this will be my last term as Republican leader of the Senate. I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. However, I'll complete my job my colleagues have given me until we select a new leader in November and they take the helm next January. During McConnell's years in the leadership, he has shown himself to be less of an ideologue and more interested in simply keeping his party in power. He ran a tight ship and for much of his career enjoyed doing battle with Senate Democrats. When President Obama nominated Merrick Garland to the Supreme Court in March of 2016 to fill the vacancy left by the death of Antonin Scalia, 
Majority Leader McConnell refused to allow a hearing, let alone a confirmation vote, on the nominee, saying it was too close to the election, eight months, to confirm a president's court choice. Let's first wait to hear what the voters had to say, McConnell's argument was. But when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died and President Trump nominated Amy Coney Barrett in September of 2020, less than eight weeks before the election, McConnell had no problem ramming her through the Senate. No distractions like an election and we should wait to hear from the voters. And yes, while he did work with President Biden to pass some significant legislation in recent years, and yes, while he did keep his distance from Trump since January 6th, McConnell's refusal to act on the Garland nomination remains an unforgivable moment for many Democrats. As I said, he did strongly criticize Trump for the rhetoric that led to the January 6th insurrection, but when it came to deciding what to do after the House voted to impeach, McConnell voted against convicting the president, refusing to hold Trump responsible. Ironically, McConnell will be giving up his leadership post in November, when Republicans may very well be gaining the majority in the Senate. There is expected to be a fight to succeed him among Minority Whip John Thune of South Dakota, former Whip John Cornyn of Texas, and Republican Conference Chair John Barrasso of Wyoming. As for his own seat, McConnell says he will complete his term in the Senate, which expires in January of 2027. Before that, however, there is pressure on him to endorse his party's presidential frontrunner. An endorsement would not surprise anyone, even noting Trump's history of humiliating and criticizing not only McConnell, but his wife Elaine Chao as well. They like to say an elephant never forgets, but the Republicans who have joined forces with Trump despite years of being ridiculed and humiliated is just astounding. For 12 elections in a row, California has voted to elect Democrats, and only Democrats, to the U.S. Senate. The last Republican winner was Pete Wilson, who was re-elected in 1988 and then left his job to become governor. Twelve in a row is by no means a record for either party, but in the state that was once the stomping grounds for Ronald Reagan, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and even Richard Nixon— it tells you how far the GOP has fallen in the nation's most populous state. By most accounts, that number is likely to extend to 13 this year. The election is for the seat long held by Dianne Feinstein, who died last September. It's currently occupied by her successor, LaFonta Butler, who shortly after her appointment announced she wouldn't run. That was considered good news by the two female Democrats already in the race, Congresswomen Barbara Lee and Katie Porter. Lee, like Butler, is black. A third Democratic member of the House, Adam Schiff, is also running and is considered to be ahead. But here's where it got complicated. California has this unique top-two primary system where all candidates, regardless of party, are on the ballot and the top-two finishers advance to the November general election. For the longest time, polls showed the order of finish as Schiff first and Porter second. But then another candidate got in the race, 
a famous name from all his years playing for the Los Angeles Dodgers and later the San Diego Padres. You may remember him as a baseball star. Here's the pitch. Swung on, a high fly ball, left field. Going back as Reigns, he won't get it. That ball is out of here and a home run. Steve Garvey has given the Dodgers a 3-1 lead with a two-run homer here in the eighth inning. Now meet Steve Garvey, Republican candidate for the Senate. Here he was on the Fox Business Network. I never took the field for Democrats, Republicans, independents, uh, conservatives. But I played for all the fans, and now I'm running for all the people. And I think that's very unique, and my opponents can't say that. In some ways, the story really hasn't changed that much. A Democrat is still favored to win the seat in November. But will it be two Democrats competing in the fall? Or a Democrat and Garvey? For that, we go to Mark Z. Baraback, a political columnist for the Los Angeles Times, who's been covering California politics since the days of Hiram Johnson. Mark, it's great having you back on the program. It's good to be back with you. Well, not that I want to spoil the end of a movie, you know, in the first five minutes, but is it fair to say that a Democrat is likely to win the California Senate race, as they've done for the last 12 elections? Yeah, I think so. I mean, as you know, there are no certainties in life. There are no certainties in politics, but it's about as close to a sure thing as uh, you can get in life or politics. Well, the conventional wisdom has long been that Adam Schiff was the front runner, followed by Katie Porter. And the third member of Congress, Barbara Lee, was thought to be trailing, even though she's the only candidate from the northern part of the state. You know, she's from Oakland. Tell me a little bit more about the state of the race before Garvey got in. So what's the lowdown on the three Democrats? Let's start with Adam Schiff. Well, Adam Schiff uh, became quite famous as uh, a chief antagonist, impeachment prosecutor, of Donald Trump. I mean, there's an interesting phenomenon. I, I want to go back to something you said in the introduction about Barbara Lee being from Northern California. Historically and traditionally, candidates, and in particular members of Congress, have, have done very poorly in, in statewide races because California's big, California's huge and diverse, and you know, you don't have to venture very far outside of someone's congressional district for them to have no idea who they are. I mean, I, I'm talking about your neighboring congressman or woman. But that's all changed in this age of cable TV. Uh, Adam Schiff became a household name, for better or from a Republican perspective, for worse, to a point where I did a column last year where I pointed out he showed up at Rossmore. That's a 55 and older community here in the Bay Area. He drew 500 people. Um, Katie Porter showed up, and she got 400 people, and only because they booked a small room. The point being, I, I talked to someone who, who ran Barbara Boxer's campaign way back in 92. She said the idea that Barbara Boxer could show up in Southern California 14 months before an election as a congresswoman for Northern California, and yet more than a handful of people was, was just you know beyond reckoning. So huge, huge change there, and, and just shows how the celebrification, if you will, of people like Katie Porter with a whiteboard or Adam Schiff through impeachment has really, really changed the nature of politics in California. Schiff not only was his claim to fame the fact that he was one of the impeachment managers, but he was also censured by the Republican-led House. Yeah, which could have been uh, uh, an in-kind contribution to his campaign. I mean, one of the criticisms that uh, Katie Porter in particular has persisted in is this idea that Adam Schiff is not a legit Democrat. Uh, he's too conservative. Um, that kind of goes away when you have him being censured by uh, the Republicans. It's, it's the old uh, enemy of my enemy is my friend. So if Republicans think he's bad enough to censure him, for a lot of Democrats, that's a badge of honor. And plus the fact that he's endorsed by Nancy Pelosi, right? 
Yeah, he's he's really got a lot of the uh, quote quote I use the term loosely establishment support. Um, Assembly Speaker, former Speaker Pelosi, as you mentioned, Barbara Boxer, who, who I mentioned, actually was very interesting. The day that, and we can get into this some. Adam Schiff puts up an ad that wink wink promotes uh, Steve Garvey says uh, too conservative for California, which is. Uh, uh, kind of well-thumbed page in the political playbook. but yeah, yeah, We'll uh, talk about that in a bit. I love that story. You go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And the day she did it, uh, Barbara, uh, uh, Katie Porter puts out a statement saying it's terrible. He's anti-woman. He's trying to box out two qualified women. And Boxer, I mean, the headline writes, and so Boxer uh, uh, says nonsense to the boxed out thing, and she ends up endorsing Adam Schiff. Okay, so now, now Katie Porter. So um, she's a, a darling of the progressive wing. Is that fair to say? Yes, she is. You know, she won an Orange County seat in 2018, knocked off an incumbent. It was a really, really big deal. I actually covered that race. Came a celebrity of sorts with her whiteboard, her inquisition of CEOs. She is a protege of Elizabeth Warren, very much in that same uh, sort of model. And, uh, yeah, very much a, a, her- a heroine, if you will, to progressives. But she's had a tough time gaining traction. Uh, you know, we'll get to Steve Garvey, and he- he's kind of uh, – edged her out. And the big question, I guess the only remaining question around uh, what's going to happen on Tuesday is, will Katie Porter make it to that top two runoff, or is it going to be Adam Schiff, Steve Garvey, in which case you can pretty much say the race is done and over. And we'll get to this, as I said, we'll get to this in a second, but it's interesting to me that Porter seems to be attacking Adam Schiff as much as she is Steve Garvey, probably because of the tactics you uh, alluded to. Yeah, she is. And, and, and you know, I, I'm going to say right here, I, I've gotten a lot of things wrong uh, in, in my life, in my career. But so when I, on the rare case, I get something right, I'll take credit for it. <laughs> and I did a column when this race started, and I said, there's very, very little difference among the folks who are running. At that time, we were talking Barbara Lee, Adam Schiff, Katie Porter. The fact that they're all Democrats, the fact that they would vote probably 90-plus percent, maybe 95-plus percent of the time, that there's very little differentiation on issues. So when there is what happens, you get personal, you get negative. And I said it was going to be a personal and an ugly negative campaign. That's what it's been. One quick thing about Barbara Lee. I mean, as I said, she's from Oakland. She's from the northern part. One would think that she might be able to, you know, have that northern coalition that Diane Feinstein had when she was elected statewide. But, you, but there's no comparison between Feinstein and Barbara Lee, is there? No, and it's, it, again, it's broken down. I mean, geography doesn't matter quite as much. Uh, if an Adam Schiff can show up in Northern California and draw 500 people or Katie Porter get 400. The other thing, and giving Barbara Lee uh, uh, her due and, and saying a little bit more about her, she famously was the one vote uh, after 9-11 against the war in Afghanistan. She proved prescient, talking about it being a, a quagmire. Um, she's talked about representation. There have only been three black women, including LaFonza Butler, Serving in the U.S. Senate, the whole history of the country, she says the country uh, needs more, that they, uh, we, we need better representation. And the problem, one of them I think she has, is, is her age, frankly. She's 77. She'd be 78 on Election Day. Might not matter quite as much had California not just gone through the whole drama and trauma surrounding Diane Feinstein. I mean, people point out, you know, the Senate, as you well know, Ken, it's about seniority. Barbara Lee would be well into her 80s, pushing 90 before she had any kind of seniority. So I think her age, even though I should say she's very spry, she's, you know, out there, she's energetic, all that sort of stuff. Still, she's 77, and that's, that's tough. And she's not raising much money, is she? No, no. And I think it may be one of those... Um, uh, circular things where she's not raising a lot of money, and so people question her viability, so she can't raise money, and on. It's, it's not a fruitful cycle. 
So then Steve Garvey gets in the race, and basically everything is turned upside down. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, Steve Garvey, Ken Rudin, uh, Donald Duck, Mickey Mouse, <laughs> just give an R behind your name. Regardless of what that name is, you are going to get... What a great group that was. That, that is what I'll let people choose among them. But look, you have an R, you have an R next to your name. You are going to get a certain level of support, you know, north of 33, 35% simply by having that R by your name. Steve Garvey gets in. He is more than just a, a generic name, as you suggest. He uh, has uh, a legacy in baseball. He was a star, much beloved as a Dodger. He gets in, and then Adam Schiff makes this play, which, as I said, we've seen before, puts up an ad that says, oh, Steve Garvey, too conservative, Donald Trump, this, that, which is an invitation for Republicans to vote for him. And some polls, and I'm not a huge believer or follower of the polls, but, you, you know, you gotta you got to figure it's out there. And there are some indications that Steve Garvey could pull in second place, finish ahead of Katie Porter, and set up, as I said, an Adam Schiff, Steve Garvey uh, general, well, we call it a runoff general election here in California that, you know, will be pretty much preordained from the go. Two leading candidates for Senate, two very different visions for California. Steve Garvey, the leading Republican, is too conservative for California. He voted for Trump twice and supported Republicans for years, including far-right conservatives. And Adam Schiff would love that because I'm sure he's confident, and perhaps rightly so, that he could beat Garvey in November. And Schiff, you know, we were talking about the tactics. This is the famous Clara McCaskill Missouri game that when she would attack the most, she would t talk about the most conservative Republican in the primary, and she would say, he's too conservative from Missouri, he's too conservative, and all the conservatives said, wow, let's vote for him. So that was Todd Akin, who got clobbered by uh, McCaskill in 2012. So it's a tactic, and Katie Porter's really annoyed with this. She's very, she's very annoyed with it, and, and a couple of things. You said Adam Schiff would be very, very pleased. Honestly, there are a lot of Democrats who would be very, very pleased if there was not an expensive Katie Porter, uh, Adam Schiff uh, runoff. And that's because many, many tens of millions of dollars that would go into that fight to hang on to a seat that's going to be Democratic regardless right. could then be spent in other places. So there are a lot of Repo Democrats me, who are very, very happy or would be happy to see this thing resolved, done over on March 5th. Um, Katie Porter is not happy about this tactic. I, I will point out there's a bit of California history. Um, again, I've been doing this, as you said, since the Hiram Johnson administration. So I will remember 2002 when Gray Davis's folks put up an ad basically painting, uh, well, not painting, but showing uh, Dick Ridden to have taken multiple positions on the abortion issue. That knocked him out. He was a candidate they feared the most in the Republican primary. They put up an ad, knocked him out. So this pick your opponent or medal, if you will, in the other side's primary is something we've got some history of here in California. Needless to say, as you suggest, Katie Porter, not at all happy about what Adam Schiff has done, though she went and did something similar not long after she put up a Facebook ad uh, promoting Eric Early, who's a little-known Republican, hoping that maybe an ad that says Eric Early is too conservative could maybe draw some Republican support away from Steve Garvey. So a lot, a lot of strategizing, a lot of moving parts. So, you know, I mean, it, it's politics. It's not ivory soap. You know, no, nobody's 99 to 44, 100 pure. Except for Ken Rudin and Donald Duck. Exactly. And, and we'll, we'll leave it to voters to decide between the two. This was, um, you know, Porter, I, was, I mentioned that she's going after Schiff as much as she is going after Garvey. Let me play a little bit of her closing line in last week's debate. 
Californians, you don't have to choose between having a career uh, politician who's beholden to special interests and having someone who simply doesn't have a lot of ideas or experience at all. You know, we know that California has elected celebrities in the past. I mean, you know, silly to go through the list. Reagan and Schwarzenegger and Sonny Bono and Clint Eastwood, you know. But, but Garvey doesn't seem to have a celebrity personality. You know, he, he comes off kind of reserved, not outgoing. And he's kind of bland, I noticed. Like, he seems to be talking in platitudes. Uh, does, that, does that hurt him? You know, I don't think so. I did a column after the first debate, and, and, and it was a pretty bad performance, if you will, uh, on a substantive level but from Steve Garvey. But, you know, there was something about his manner that was not threatening. And I think after, well, not after, we're still in the midst of Donald Trump, I, I think to uh, some folks anyway, someone being non-threatening and somewhat placid and, and not as scary may not be a detriment. I would point out, you know, the flip side. I mean, yes, everything you said about the Schwarzeneggers and the Reagans and the Sonny Bonos. California also has a very, very long history of electing Gray Davis, George Duke Majin, Pete Wilson. I mean, I just did a piece. I was out on the road with Adam Schiff. And, you know, his, stra his, his strategy, if you will, is just to sort of be calm, reassuring. I mean, as, as I put it, you know, if Katie... Porter is about passion, and Barbara Lee is about presence, the idea of having a black woman in the Senate. Adam Schiff is about practicality, just steady, smooth, non-threatening. And, and again, we have, we have a long history in California of, of electing uh, those who don't have the razzle-dazzle of a Reagan or a Schwarzenegger or, or a Gavin Newsom. What's a, a good contrast with uh, Schiff's approaches is the nonstop, and this has been going on for years, the nonstop attacks from Donald Trump on Schiff. I mean, he seems to be obsessed with, 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 uh, with Adam Schiff. I noticed that three, day, three or four days before the New Hampshire primary, in this speech, I think in Manchester, Donald Trump is going on and on about Adam Schiff, and uh, probably everybody in Manchester is saying, who, who the heck is Adam Schiff? Because they are the most dishonest people on earth, other than guys like Adam Schiff and, you know, Schiff, Pencil Neck. Pencil Neck! He's a marvel. No, he's a structural marvel. He has a neck, and his head is like a watermelon, and his neck. And how that neck can hold up that big, oversized, ugly head is hard to believe. No, it's true. It's true. But Trump is obsessed with him, and I wonder if his rantings contrast nicely with uh, Schiff's kind of moderation. Yeah, I, I, think, I, I think Adam Schiff gets the best of both worlds, if you will. He takes on Trump, and the Trump haters love to see that. And the fact that he's calm and reassuring also, also reassures folks. I mean, he seems, he seems senatorial, if you will. And I think those sorts of things matter a lot, especially in California where, you know, it's not Iowa. It's not New Hampshire. You can't just, you know, drive down the street to a town hall and, and look these folks over. You know, there's a great line from Bob Schrum, which has been quoted forever, that a political rally in California is three people around a television set. We don't really get to know candidates in, in the flesh. So, you know, perceptions and how people come across is, is, is really, really important. Aside from the personalities that we just talked about, what are the candidates talking about? I mean, uh, Israel and Hamas seem to be playing a role in many Democratic primaries. Is it in California? Yeah, it's it, it's come up. It, it's um, 
an area of difference. I talked about the similarities between the candidates, and there are, are I would say, an abundance of them. I would say on most issues are similar. Uh, Gaza and Israel is one area where they disagree. If, if, if I can simplify just for, for the sake of, of brevity and simplicity, I think you could say that Adam Schiff is, is the most hawkish pro-Israel candidate. Uh, Barbara Lee has called for an immediate ceasefire. Barbara, uh, excuse me, Katie Porter has called for something more in, in, in the middle of those two. But it has been an area of differentiation. Candidates have talked about, they've been asked a lot about homelessness, which is a huge issue before. Now I think it's fair to call it a, a crisis. And you combine that with the housing costs, which are just ridiculously obscene in, in California. Abortion is also, a, it seems to be a uniting issue among Democrats. And Barbara Lee got the endorsement of some major reproductive rights group. Is that right? Yeah, she, there, it is an issue, but again, it's one of gradation. It's one where people are talking about, well, you know, you say on your website this, your record is that. I mean, the bottom line is every single uh, one of those who are running on the Democratic side have criticized the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade. All of them have been very, very staunch supporters of uh, the constitutional right to abortion. So, again, it's hair splitting and, and angels dancing on, on pinheads to try and figure out Who's the more pro, uh, pro-choice than the other? And I know that Democrats are trying to pin down Garvey on whom he voted for, this, who he's going to vote for this year. He said he voted for Trump the last two times, but he won't commit to this year. And I thought Katie Porter had this great line in the first debate after Garvey ducked the question. Once a Dodger, always a Dodger. Although I got to say, you know, it's pretty clear who he says, well, I'm not clear who I'm going to vote. You know, I, it's not here who clear who I'm going to vote for, but Joe Biden is horrible and terrible and rotten, disgusting and evil. But you know what? I I haven't made up my mind. It's like, okay. (laughs) Have the debates made a difference? Have they helped or hurt any candidate? You know, it it, it pains me being the serious and substantive and thoughtful journalist, and I'm saying that uh, uh, with quotes and uh, a a wink. You know, the debates have not, I don't think, made a huge difference. You know, they've they, they've come on in the middle of the week. It's, it's just, it hasn't been appointment television. This race has gotten some degree of interest, but it hasn't captivated people. I mean, maybe it's an unfair comparison, but I go back to, you know, the Arnold Schwarzenegger recall, which was unlike anything I've ever seen or covered in California. I mean, that genuinely captivated people, captured their imagination. This race, not so much. So I don't think the viewership has been off the charts for these debates. They've been covered, but... You know, other than people, you know, other than the kind of people who will, you know, sit down on a, a Tuesday night and watch two hours of political debate, I don't think it's really penetrated or, or had a huge impact. I think the, the only question left for Tuesday is really who finishes second or who makes it into the runoff, assuming with Schiff. Do you have a gut feeling or? I agree with you. I think I, I think it would be uh, shocking not too strong a word if Adam Schiff were not to finish first at this point. Then the question comes down, as you said, who's number two? Is it Katie Porter? Do we have a spirited, competitive, and costly Democrat-on-Democrat Democrat fight all the way to November? Or does Steve Garvey win the nomination, excuse me, you know, slide into second place and turn it into a contest that really won't be very much of a contest, barring some huge cataclysmic unforeseen something happening between now and November? You know, you mentioned the Arnold Schwarzenegger coming to the, the governorship thanks to a recall. And I, I, I got to ask you this question. I mean, I see that opponents of Governor Gavin Newsom are once again talking about gathering signatures for another recall election. I assume they're serious. Yeah, I mean, they're serious. I mean, this is, I believe, will be the seventh attempt 
who recall Gavin Newsom, one of them made, made it to the ballot. I mean, every, every governor going back to, including Ronald Reagan, has faced a recall. I mean, you know, it, it's not unusual here in California. We talk about it because Gray Davis, it was the one time it was successful. They tried against Gavin Newsom. Um, I have some thoughts that I'm probably going to write about. I, I think it's a complete and utter waste of time. And I think it's a, I think it's a bad thing. I think we've come to a point where, you know, Elections used to settle things, and we moved on to the next election. And if you lost, you tried to win the next election. But we're at a point now where people don't accept the results of an election, in the case of the former president, or they just keep trying. Okay, we don't like Gavin Newsom, so he won He won election, let's recall him. He won re-election, let's recall him. I mean, I think it's a very bad and dangerous trend. You know, elections should have meaning, and they should be over and decided once they're over and decided. You know, just one final thought. You know, Newsom's term ends in— January of 27, and one might think that he's going to pursue a presidential bid in 2028. So a a recall may not succeed, but it could be more than just a nuisance, couldn't it? Well, that's the idea. I think that's that's what opponents want to do. They see him out and about traveling around the country, uh, acting uh, like a candidate for president, although I take him at his word that, that he's not maybe laying the groundwork. But yes, they very openly say they like the idea of pinning him down and instead of gallivanting around the country, uh, he'd be forced to stay home and, and worry about beating back yet another recall attempt. Mark Z. Baraback is a political columnist for the Los Angeles Times. You can check out his stuff on Twitter or X at Mark Z. Baraback, B-A-R-A-B-A-K. Mark, it was great having you on the show. It was fun. Thanks for having me. I wish they That's it for this week's show. Don't forget, you can always find my political blogs, trivia questions, and the Political Junkie store, all at krpoliticaljunkie.com. If you've got comments, questions, or complaints, send an email to ken at krpoliticaljunkie.com. You can also tweet me at Ken Rudin or shoot me a message on the show's Facebook page. And you can follow my button of the day on Instagram at the Political Junkie. Political Junkies made possible thanks to the support of our listeners and donors. Your generous contributions are most appreciated. Keep them coming at krpoliticaljunkie.com slash donate. I'm Ken Rudin. Thanks for listening. Please stay safe. I'll see you soon.